It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Rob Bradford. This is the Visit Massachusetts pregame show sponsored by the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism. Tourism. Start your Massachusetts adventure at visitma.com. Red Sox, Orioles, Camden Yards. We got somebody there. His name is Will Fleming. What's going on, Will? Info, what's going on, man? You're just getting clicks through the roof on Matt Strong and uh, <laughs> driving website traffic I out just, the wazoo, I, so. I just like to have spirited conversation, Well, I just like to oh, have spirited good. conversation. Um, so uh, we, we just have a couple quick questions for you because you did your, your interview with... Uh, My apologies. We had a lot going no, on. No, 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 no. Dave Bush is outstanding. You, everyone's going to want to listen to this interview, uh, but it runs a little long, and it's for good reason. There's a lot to get to. I thought it was great that you got a chance to talk to him today because there is so many things to pick through. But, you know, in regards to you are around the team now for a good 24 hours with these rule changes, and we have mm-hmm. Strom and we have Rich Hale coming out with the couch cushion and we have all this. <laughs> I mean, so being around, and I, and I think that you and I think the same way. I mean, I, you know, I think that we want the pitch clock and, and all of that. But from your perspective, I'm interested to see your vibe you're, you're getting after 24 hours from that clubhouse. I don't think it was ever going to be that positive because what uh, well, I think what you hear mostly uh, in Matt Strom's interview and in some ways what Rich Hill has said is still underlying animosity toward the owners and especially toward Rob Manfred because what Matt Strom is suggesting, what Rich Hill is suggesting is blatantly not how this thing has gone down. I mean, the competition committee and the, the major league o- officials have been really you know, pretty uh, steady and deliberate about this thing, and they've thought a lot about it. Like anybody who thinks Theo Epstein is some reactionary and put these things in place just because just isn't paying attention. You know, they put it to, to work down in AAA, and nobody minded it at all. It sped up the games. There's more action. There are more balls in play. Everything about it uh, is better. So I think what's happening is there's a conflation between anger at big league baseball, still sort of simmering over with the CBA, and I just think the other part of it, that's when, you know, when he says things about, you know, the fact that some pitchers are still cheating and all this sort of it's absolutely unrelated. I mean, we can have a big talk, big time, you know, 35,000 foot conversation about what ails baseball. And I'm all for that. And I think Matt is a very thoughtful guy. And I think he's a great conversationalist. I always enjoy talking to him. But in the context of what happened yesterday, I don't find any of that stuff relevant. I really don't because the people who run the game are responsible for its ongoing health. The players play it, we get it. They have the most important job of all. None of this happens. None of us are employed. There are no ballparks. There's no TV revenue without it. But guess what? It's the job of the commissioner and the office of Major League Baseball to make the game the best it can be. And there's zero zero doubt that the rule changes yesterday will help to that end. No doubt. I, I totally agree with you. I think that th- those comments, not from whoever it is, Matt Strom or Rich Hill, whoever, there's the, an underlying animosity still toward Rob Manfred. And when, when he talks about Rob Manfred coming around to every one of the teams, which he did, 
Okay, so what Rob Manfred did in spring training was that he went to every team and he got a collection of players. And everybody who I talked to in one of the meetings came out saying, I like Rob Manfred a lot better. Mm-hmm. Problem is, not everybody was in those meetings. And so I think that he's not going to fix this overnight, this perception. The question I have for you, Will, is for me, the I, even though I like all these rule changes, mm-hmm. there's always going to be some things that we aren't anticipating. The hitter thing for me is going to be a, a sticky one where the hitter has to be ready to go with eight seconds left. It's one thing to be ready to go with nine seconds in the minor leagues because those are minor leaguers who aren't getting paid $30 million a year. That is where it's going to be really, really interesting to see how the umpires approach that for these guys. Like, like I think Alex Cora said yesterday, it's a good thing David Ortiz isn't still playing. <laughs> No, it is. Well, and I watched Xander yesterday, who's on pace to win a batting title, and his routine is like 25 seconds long after every single pitch. So there will have to be adjustments. And I listen, I'm sympathetic to that. You, you've learned the game one way, and you are a creature of habit, and God knows he is, and so many others. They believe in all this stuff as one of the keys to, to what they do. And I, again, I understand that. But guess what? Xander Bogarts will adjust, and so will everybody else. And they'll be great hitters whether they take 40 seconds before a pitch or not. That's been proven at AAA. Here's the other thing. All of the numbers over these couple years are the exact same in terms of batting averages, runs scored, all that stuff. The offense doesn't suffer because the hitter's got to be in there and, and be ready to go. I, I, again, I think I understand the pushback, but I think by the end of May, Uh, Nobody's going to be talking about it in the way that we fear that they will. The other thing is I think that it will be good and important to be open to some changes. Like if we go into it and next year at the big league level, uh, base stealers are exploiting the fact that you can only throw over two times. Okay, maybe we tweak that a little bit. Uh, There will be changes. I'm pretty confident of that. Matt Strom's idea to, uh, you know, freeze out the hitter and force him to take time in the first couple pitches, I don't buy that that's going to work either because if he waits and waits, he's going to get flagged for a ball too. So uh, I I don't think there'll be simple cheat codes, if you will, to to beat these new rules. Uh, And I think there'll be a work in progress. Well, I just remember what David Ortiz, when they had the initial rule about you can't take one foot out of the batter's box, David Ortiz freaked out. And then a year later, after he retired, said that was the best thing that ever happened to me because it made me focus on the next pitch. Right. All right. right. All right. Well, uh, two questions to finish things off here. Mm-hmm. A, I want your highlight from the upcoming video. Uh, I'm sorry, the upcoming interview with Dave Bush. And B, what the restaurant that you went to with Joe Castiglione at any point on this road trip so far, did it have a bocce ball court on it? <laughs> you know the answer to number two. Yeah. La Scala here in Baltimore, which is a brilliant place. Had some great crab vodka sauce pasta. That was one of the great meals of the entire year. Uh, and I will be there. I actually took my two boys there the other night, which was really great. Uh, I thought Dave was really great, not only on Brian Bale, but on the overall role of analytics and information for the Red Sox. And most importantly, you know, I want to get him and all these people on record because I think the perception in town, uh, and to some in the industry, frankly, is that they are one of the teams that somebody like Joe Madden would be talking about. And as somebody who's around them, I know they're not. Like, they have as much information as everybody, but nothing is forced on them. There's no talk of lineups or who's going to pitch in the bullpen, any of that. So I just kind of wanted to get him on record for that, uh, and I thought his explanation was excellent. All right, well, I look forward to that. Lucky for us, it's just a couple minutes away. Hey, have a great call today. Enjoy Baltimore. You got it. Thanks, Rob. All right, the great Will Fleming. This is a Visit Massachusetts pregame show sponsored by the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism. Start your Massachusetts adventure at visitma.com. Well, we promised it. You're going to get it. Will Fleming and Dave Bush coming up next.
Welcome back, everybody. I'm Rob Bradford. This is the Visit Massachusetts pregame show, sponsored by the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism. Start your Massachusetts adventure at visitma.com today. And a reminder, you can watch the Red Sox pregame show on Twitch. Just follow WEEI. Yes, my beautiful face is on Twitch right now. Brought to you by Subaru of New England. There's a lot to love about driving a brand new 2022 Subaru Forester. Find your authorized Subaru retailer at SubaruofNewEngland.com. Well, boy, what a lucky day we have. We had Will Fleming, and now we have Will Fleming talking about the interview or talking to Dave Bush in the interview, which... Listen, it's getting a lot of buzz already because of what we had surfaced on this pregame show. Now it is your chance to soak in the whole enchilada. Here you go, Will Fleming and Dave Bush. With the pitching coach, Dave Bush, ahead of the middle game in Baltimore, and uh, the young kid, Brian Bayo. I mean, the, the bottom line, the box score does not tell, to me, the story of how well he pitched last night. He's obviously disappointed with the way it finished, but I thought overall, probably his best slider, and he just looked to be once again kind of learning on the job. What did you make of him? He threw the ball really well. Uh, no doubt the last two starts have been really good. I know the last couple of hitters you face leaves three guys on uh, or two guys on and, and the run score, and it kind of sours the line, but he threw the ball so well the first five innings. Like you said, he used the slider a lot better. The fastball command was good. Um, as a carryover from the start last week where he went six scoreless, um, it's been really fun to watch him evolve this year and grow, you know, on the field, off the field. He's understanding what it takes to get guys out in the big leagues. He's um, been willing to make adjustments with his delivery and his pitch mix. Tightened up his command. Um, and he's working hard at learning English. I mean, all, all the things that, that you have to do to be a successful pitcher and understanding the game as a whole, not just throwing your best stuff, but understanding how to pitch. He's made huge strides in all those areas. And the last couple of starts, we've seen it. And the fact, honestly, the fact that he was so frustrated and disappointed last night was another step because, because he knew he had the game in hand and he, he was in control and then it got away from him over a couple of hitters and that's just another uh, another learning process for him. And there weren't bad pitches, right? I mean, the ones that, I mean, Rutschman, we know who he is. He's got an unbelievable field of strikes. And the, the, the pitches, not just the, the ball four, but leading up to those, some really close pitches taken. So when you kind of go back and do the autopsy of those at-bats, is there, I mean, are you critical of those pitches or is it just hey, those kinds of things happen. There's, there's small misses and good takes. It's helping him understand in that moment the, to, to get back in the count before it slips away from him. That, yeah, walks are going to happen. You're going to have competitive at-bats where you throw quality pitches and the guy's just going to swing at him and you miss by an inch or two. Like that, that's part of the game. Um, but I feel like in that moment he got a little bit shy and tried to be too fine and tried to make perfect pitches instead of just throwing his quality strikes like he had the first five innings. Um, and just letting the contact happen. And, and, you know, for the most part, there was not a lot of hard contact yesterday. And I uh, just felt like those last couple hitters after Mullins got the base hit, it was like, oh, I tried to be perfect. Tried to get a double play, you know, try to try to make the perfect pitch instead of just making the quality pitches he'd been making. Um, and that's the message afterwards. Like, look, like he was still in complete control. We still had a two-run lead. Um, you know, there's still plenty of room to make quality pitches to get guys out. And like I said, that's just the stuff he learns from a game like that. How about Connor Wong? I mean, we've always been impressed with the defense, the kind of the calmness behind the plate, starting to really swing it, but let's focus behind the plate where your guys are working with him. From your seat in the dugout, in the meetings, before and after the games, what have you seen from Connor? He's been great. He's um, asked a lot of questions. He's starting to be more assertive with his voice. Um, one of the things that, you know, that Jason and I preach to him is that, that he's, you know, he once he has the information, he can make decisions. You know, he, he has the certainly the ability and the intelligence to make decisions in the game. He doesn't always have to check 
Um, but we have continuous conversations throughout the game, both myself and Jason, um, with catchers and pitchers, you know, between each inning. And Connor's picking up stuff fast. He, you know, he's remembering hitters. He's understanding sequences. He's prepared. Um, you know, all the things that good catchers do so that they can call a good game. He's been taking big steps there, too. You're going to have to learn a lot of new things going into next year. So are your pitchers with the pitch clock coming. I mean, I think we've all seen it. I mean, it's almost been an inevitability that this thing's going to happen. I know a lot of your pitchers have been vocal about not liking it. On the other hand, we hear in the minor leagues that guys kind of learn it very quickly, and it's not even an issue. Uh, what was your first reaction when you heard that this thing is coming down? I've seen it coming for a while. It, it has feel, felt inevitable for a few years now. Um, you know, most of the rules that they implement in the minor leagues have made their way to the big leagues relatively quickly. So this has been going for, you know, it's been stepping up the minor league system, so I'm not surprised. Um, also, the feedback we got from guys that have been up and down from AAA to the big leagues this year has been that it's not that big a deal. Yeah. Um, yes, it's fast. Yes, probably the first couple weeks of this season they struggled in AAA, hitters and pitchers, um, with making sure that they were on time with the clock. But since then, I really haven't heard too many complaints. Guys just say it's fast. Um, certainly the pace of the game picks up a lot. Um, action is, is more continuous, but um, I, I don't know that there – I don't feel like there's been a significant change offensively or, or pitching to, to say it's going to help one side or the other. It's just making faster action. I've always thought that potentially when guys don't have as long to wait, they can't go as max effort, so that obviously is going to lead to more contact, but maybe even fewer injuries. Do you think there's something to that? I do. I do. Um, I felt like part of this is not just to make the game faster, but to, like you said, to reduce um, the recovery time, in, in essence, in between pitches for hitters and for pitchers where they don't have, you know, like with every few seconds you wait, your body recovers a little bit more. If you could wait 10 minutes between pitches, I would assume you'd have better stuff on every pitch. And if you can only wait 10 seconds, it's going to go down to some degree. Um, same for the hitters, that if you, know, if you can let loose your best swing once versus having to do it over and over again, Presumably, it's going to be at a little bit lower effort. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's one of the outcomes where we see um, the game slow down a little bit with the effort, where the guys just can't put forth the same effort with every pitch and with every swing. Joe Madden kind of ignited a conversation this week, but really for the last month, about what he calls the imposition of information on managers and coaches and players. We see you guys tirelessly working. I mean, you're here so early. You're always in the binders and on the laptops. But one of your jobs is to distill that information and make it digestible for your players uh, first off do you think joe is on to something that too much information in, in presenting to the players and coaches can be a bad thing and also can you just give insight into how you guys address that problem and, and give it to your guys sure um yeah a big part of the job in the big leagues nowadays is is distilling information and, and kind of compiling it and then sorting through it and then giving the players what we think they need um it is a lot. I, you know, I, anyone could say there's too much or not enough. I mean, in the end, we're trying to make our players the best they can be. And if that requires more information for certain guys, then we're going to give it to them because we have it. And if there's other players that need less because that's how they perform better, then it's up to us to filter down even more and, and give those people less. Um, I don't think there's a match against it. I don't think there's a, a right amount or, or a not right amount. Um, you know, I'm sure there are the same arguments 15 years ago and, and 20 years before that. And at each step along the way, when, when new information, new measurements, um, new ways to evaluate the game have come about, there's always some pushback. Um, but, I mean, really, like I said, we're, we're trying to get the players to be the best they can be. And whatever amount of information or work that takes, that's what we're here for. That's why we have coaches. That's, that's probably the most important part of our job is, is taking whatever we can and making guys better. And sometimes it's 
another meeting. Sometimes it's more video work. Sometimes it's it's more specific evaluation of you know what's happening in the field. Sometimes it's more physical work. Um, I, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer there, other than if there's an avenue that we can take to help guys get better, we're going to do it. And um, quite honestly, I don't really care what that avenue is. If if there's you know more people that can help, if there's more information that can help, uh, if there's something I can do differently that can help, then I'm going to do it. Because, um, like I said, when I when I boil it down, the reason why we're here is to help the players get better and to help them win. And, you know, whatever path that takes and whatever information we have that's going to help us get better, we're going to use it. Just to tie a bow on that, because I get asked this all the time, and I'm lucky to have a front-row seat for all this stuff, and I talk to you and all your players all the time. And it's my sense that your organization, unlike some others, is not forcing this on players, much less is the front office telling you how to use this information or distribute it or what bullpen arms to use on a given night because there's a lot of noise out there, Dave, about that. And it's my sense that your organization is not running that way. No, there, there's, um, I mean, I think somewhat unfairly information data gets all lumped in one, one, big, one big clump. Um, you know, there, there's information that helps us run the game. There's information that helps us teach players. There's information that they use when guys are working on their swing and when they're in the bullpen working on their delivery or they're changing the grip because they think it can get more or less moving or more velo. Um, all those pieces are different. You know, the, the, the stuff, the, the technology we use at 3 o'clock in the bullpen is different than the information we have in a binder to use during the game. Um, you know, pitching matchups and who's rested and an advanced report for how we're going to approach hitters. They're, they're all information, but they're all different. Um, so, no, I, I don't feel like anything is forced on us. Um, we have a lot, and, and a big part of it is deciding what's valuable in that moment in time. That um, You know, at, at 3 o'clock, as I said, when the guy's working in the bullpen, there's a lot of information that's valuable. Um, but when he's out on the mound and I have to go make a visit at 9.30 and it's the seventh inning, I'm probably not talking about the same stuff. Um, so, so that's part of the filtering process is there's a, there's a time of the day where we use a lot of it and there's other times where we you know, we simplify it because this is a small piece that's going to help a guy in the moment in the game. Um, like I said, man, I, I like it. I like having at that, all that at my disposal. And um, like, yeah, I mean, sometimes I have to you know, take a step back and say, all right, like, what, what's most important right now? Because there can be a lot. If it's, if it's completely unfiltered, then um, it becomes overwhelming. But, you know, a lot of the preparation as coaches comes ahead of time saying, all right, this, this is what I need right now. This is what I have for later. Um, and just being organized so that when the moment comes, whatever information is going to be most useful at that moment, I can access it and pull it up and then distribute it. Michael Waka's on the mound, and this has been your first full go with him. Um, he is super impressive the way that he not only carries himself on the mound, but between starts, the professionalism. I keep hearing from your young pitchers that, uh, like Nate, he's really impacted that room. When you reflect on this year with Waka, what, what stands out? Very professional. That's probably the simplest way to put it. He goes about his business the right way. Um, he prepares himself between starts really well. He prepares himself the day of his start. Um, I think the reason why we've seen the consistency this year is because of that, because he does you know, he, he does the same thing day in and day out. He comes in and he has a really good routine, and you know, he's willing to make small adjustments based on how he feels. Uh, but the consistency of his routine is what makes a difference, where he knows exactly what he needs, and he goes about the same routine in the bullpen where – um, there's never really any question about what he's trying to do because he's got such a good routine and, and he responds well when he has to make small adjustments. Um, but it's been fun to work. He's been fun to work with. It's been fun to watch him pitch. Um, you know, not overpowering stuff, but but good stuff and the ability to mix and match, command both sides of the plate. 
uses his changeup really well. Obviously, that's been his best pitch. Um, but yeah, I mean, those guys, they're, they're becoming few and farther between, but every time you see it, you see him pitch and have success, like there's still a, an avenue for guys like that because they can command the strike zone, they can change speeds, and um, and he stays in control the whole time. He dictates what the action is. Last thing for you, you know, we all know in a lot of ways the writing is on the wall with the record and the standings, and it would make a lot of sense if you backed off guys like Schreiber and Whitlock and people who have been so overworked who have such a big part of the future here in Boston. So then you're talking about a group of guys who, frankly, are pushing to be a part of this thing next year. They know that, but is that something you, Dave, have to address with them? And and what do you make of the work from here to the finish line with some of those guys who are really fighting to be a part of this? Well, the first thing I tell them is that they're here for a reason. We have them in the big leagues because we believe they're going to get big leaguers out. Um, we would never call somebody up if we didn't think they were qualified and, and we didn't expect them to be able to perform at this level. So that's the biggest piece for guys that are new to the big leagues is just understanding that, that they belong here and, and trying to instill in them the confidence that they have the stuff to get big leaguers out, that they're going to be successful. Um, again, because we wouldn't bring them up and, and put, certainly wouldn't put them on the mound if I didn't think that was the case. Um, so that's a big step is just like, hey, man, here's your stuff. Here's why we believe you're going to be successful in the big leagues because you can do this, because you can do that. Um, you know, certainly because you have the stuff to get big leaguers out. And, and in all cases, we've seen it in AAA. Um, so that, that's the first most important thing is just getting them to understand that, that they're here for a reason um, and they're going to be good. And the second part is just helping them through the situations. Like, you know, the, the big leagues are tough. Um, a lot of guys struggle when they first get to the big leagues, no matter how talented you are. And so helping them navigate through that and just making sure that to boil it down to what they're really good at and, that their deliveries are consistent, that they're trusting their stuff, they're attacking the strike zone, and then giving them, giving them the opportunity to compete. Um, you know, that's what it boils down to is once they're out in the mound, it's, it's their chance to shine. Um, so when you have situations like this where we have a bunch of new guys up here, like, hey, man, like here, we're going to put you in, in good spots here. We're going to let you go out there and compete. Um, and it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch guys figure this level out. It's, it's, that's probably one of my... My more enjoyable things, um, oddly enough, is, is watching guys struggle but then make the adjustments and have success because I know when they do have that success, they've earned it and they feel it because it's not just by chance. It's because they were willing to to figure out how the game works at this level and then make the adjustments to succeed. Good luck with all those guys the rest of the way. And once again, Dave, thanks so much for the time. Oh, you're welcome. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.